Hi, I'm Steve. I'm Erin. And I'm Daniel. And we're the Verbal Reasoning Podcast. Three friends with professional scientific backgrounds. Talking about all things under the sun in the most digestible way. Enjoy. Today we'll be discussing youth activism with one of our longest, tallest, six-foot friends, Ahmed Maboub. Ahmed, welcome to the podcast. Uh, do you mind introducing yourself? Who are you? What do you do? What are you about? So I'm Ahmed Maboub. Um, I'm currently finishing off my MSc in biomaterials. So I've been fairly involved with uh, different political um, activities. So currently I'm the chair for the Hornsey Wood Green uh, Young Labour. Um, I'm also in the BAME, um, the BAME Forum for Hornsey Wood Green. I was previously the president of Queen Mary as well. And yeah, I've just been uh, doing stuff around student politics and basically the Labour Party. So when you say you were the president of uh, Queen Mary, uh, did student you have studio. the keys to Queen Mary? or Oh, the student, yeah, okay, all right. Same studio, same, no, same, no, same, not, same. The, not the big place. Yeah, I okay, couldn't okay. earn that much. Yeah. Just, no just, the, just the measly president of the student the union. <laughs> no, man. They just had one picture of me. That was it. No one knew who I was. It's, <laughs> for for context, um, if you were on the Queen Mary campus at any point, you might have uh, seen a giant picture of Ahmed on the side of the building uh, because, you know, he's a very important man and he's got his picture plastered everywhere. So, uh, oh, yeah, this, this is a quality guest we got on here today. And I know I say this every week, but this, he ain't like those other bums that we had before. This is a quality <laughs> guest. <laughs> Until next week. Until next week. Yo, <laughs> Until next week. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Who knows? Okay, so who wants to go first in asking Ahmed the question? Okay, so maybe we'll just start off with like the most basic thing. So why politics? I mean, well, why did you decide to join a political party? And maybe then go into like, why Labour specifically? So the reason I got into politics and like uh, shout out to Miss Somo and Miss Ratimi, it was actually from A-level sociology, which is a classmate Aaron shared. I think that's what really got me into like, you know, looking into politics in kind of a holistic way at the start. Because at the start, I kind of just looked as, oh, you know, Tories are the devil and like Labour's just for the, for the working class. Wait, but there's so much more to it and uh that's a lie no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's, it's semi-true it's semi-true but um, you, when you look into like social ideologies and things like that you you un, like discover there's so much more into it and like there's so much more about political parties and what your voice can do with it and i think i rejoined the labor party because it was just it was just, they were just kind of there all the time um i'm from woodgreen so like labor's always had woodgreen um from like well, they lost it briefly during the Iraq war, um, but basically they've had it forever. Um, so does Tottenham, which is nearby. So Labour's always had kind of an influence on me and I'm not going to mind, my dad would kick me out of the house if I wasn't left wing. So it's always been Labour for me. Come um, on, come on, shout yeah. out your dad. Come Big on. man, dad. big man. There we go, there we go. Um, can, I, can I ask though, because I get bullied often for having a lot of subscriptions. How do you join a, a political party? And is it, I mean, because I, I know the answer to this because I'm also a Labour Party member, but yeah. Ahmed, how do you join a political party? So it's very easy. Um, you literally can just go on their website and buy membership. Now, it's what happens after you buy membership that's important. So I've spoken to a lot of members who have been like, you know, have paid membership for five years and have never gone to a meeting. So literally, just, they're just funding whichever political party and not being involved. So uh, can I just quickly clarify then this, you are funding them on a yearly basis. Uh, so, so to speak, as a subscription then, am I correct in saying that? Or 
essentially yeah, you are. Oh, okay, all right then, all right then. Just wanted exactly. to point that out, but yeah, carry on. But yeah, yeah, you are you are funding them, but I guess what it gets you is a voice at the table. So you have the kind of local councils that you can get be a part of. So you can be a part of your CLPs, which is kind of your political area. So for me, it'll be Hornswood Green. Uh, for others, it might be the Tottenham CLP. Um, you got Enfield North. You got you got different CLPs all around, and it gives you a seat at the table where you can discuss where your where your area is heading. So we had the Harringay Development Vehicle that happened not too long ago, which is essentially where some of the uh, more centrist uh, Labour um, councillors wanted to get rid of all the kind of housing blocks that had the poor people in, or the less affluent people in it, and build shiny new complexes to attract richer people. Oh, in case in case you don't know and you're listening to this, when Ahmed says centrist, he means basically people who are right-wing masquerading as though they're left-wing and trying to take over the Labour Party. But carry on, carry on. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. We also call them Blairites, so... Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> I I just thought let me throw that in there because you're too polite. So let me say I, it. <laughs> be, I have to be uh, politically correct all the time. But yeah, no, thank you. Ara. That's basically what it is. So it gives you a seat at the table, so you can go to your like kind of meetings and stuff and like set the direction. But also you can go to national conference, which mm. this year happened. Well, was supposed to happen in Brighton, um, where you can make motions and like you know kind of get the Labour Party to commit to things. So I don't know if you guys remember, but when Corbyn was running. The, uh, our dear old uncle, um, he had uh, a thing on his manifesto that promised free education, so to scrap university fees. So that actually came from the conference the year before, um, which was a motion to say that Labour should be fighting for free education. Um, so you do have a, a greater voice if you do have a membership. Uh, so I'd encourage you to get if you mm. want to make, you know, have make a make a. Yeah, that answers party. my questions. What if, what if, like, your local area isn't a Labour majority? So like, that's where I am now. Like and, me, yeah. Yeah, we're, it's a, actually a Tory area. Who? <laughs> no. But, yeah, uh, yeah, like... These guys got their fancy jobs and forgot where they came from. I know, right, right I know, right. Moved on. <laughs> but, Aaron lives in a mansion. Aaron lives in a mansion in Edmonton. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. The fact that you said Edmonton Green is enough of a telling factor that it's definitely not a mansion, mate. I'll tell you that one. <laughs> but yeah, no, like my point still stands. If, yeah. he, if let's say your party isn't voted in, and let's say historically it's never voted in, is there even a point joining a party? Um, I guess it, it relates to your politics as well, but there's always, you know what, politics is a thing that it's never it's ne- never set in stone. There's there's people like you know in the last election there's uh, councils in the north CLPs that were Labour from the fifties that are now Tory. Um, so I'd say if you you know if there is kind of a movement to get a new party in and change your change your current party, um, it's not impossible. Um, and also even if the Tories are you know in council or if it's Lib Dems, you can still work with the leader leaders of the opposition of that council. Um, so there, if there is some Labour councillors, I'm not sure how your areas are, but actually, usually when it's a Tory-held area, it's usually between the Lib Dems it's and rough. the Tories, but it's it's rough out there. But um, but no, there's there's always a chance to kind of fund the the kind of local going ins and outs of what's going on. So I'd say still get involved. It might not be to the same involvement as you know a Labour-held area, but you are still working towards making it Labour or whichever political party you choose. So would would you say like would you think that people have the uh, obligation to have like a or yeah the obligation to have like the social responsibility to influence politics? Are you one of those people that say you know 
some people say, oh, I don't vote, I don't get involved. And by not yeah. voting or not getting involved, it's kind of like yeah. a vote. Are you one of those people that say, oh, you know, if you don't get involved, you're not, you're not fulfilling your social responsibility? I think partly, I can see why some people are disengaged and like disenfranchised by the whole political scene. I mean, um, I was going to speak about it later, but if you look at like kind of Labour at the moment and kind of like the Black Lives Matter stance that Keir Starmer took, um, a lot of my friends have actually like ripped up their membership cards because of that. It's draining. Yeah, it's draining. Exactly. It's like uh, you want someone to fight your side, but then you've got these people that, you know, snake you or stab you in the back whenever they can. So I get why some people are just disenfranchised. They think it's more of the same because, you know, most of the time it is more of the same. Uh, I only really got involved with Corbyn because I thought he was a really different candidate. Uh, so I could see that. But then again, it is your social responsibility. If you want change and you complain about it, do something about it. Um, don't just complain about it in your houses. I think uh, we all have those uncles that, you know, talk about politics back at home, but they don't That's really funny. do anything about the politics back at home. Aaron is our yeah. uncle. <laughs> i'm not old enough to be that uncle Stephen, but yes i i guess i am to an extent that uncle um i was gonna actually ask though like so you know when you say um we can go down to the local council or whatever and we can uh, you know have our say yeah like are there specific days or do i just go knock on the council's door and say yo come out i want to talk to you like what what sort of meetings are there and are they regularly held i mean because i don't know much about it that's the thing and i think that's yeah. kind of the issue there it's not widely publicized yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's not transparent in the way they do it at all. And that would be my biggest criticisms of like local governments. They're just, you know, the local people don't know what's going on most of the time. But mo when you get, when you buy a membership card um, and a membership into whichever political party, you get sent these emails usually. Uh, sometimes you don't and it's just jarring, but usually you do. And there's three sets of emails you get um, on three sets of different type of meetings. So the first one is your kind of local um your local kind of uh, like very specific to your kind of area so it'll be just a couple of streets so for me it'll be no park and it's like a smaller version of your clp so it's like just generate for that area and that usually happens on the on the first wednesday of every month um then you have then you can get voters into the general committee which is called gc which is for your whole clp which is for the entire area so for example the whole of tottenham or for hornsey or green and that usually happens once a month too. And then you can get voted further into EC, which is called the Executive Council. So this is where like the kind of heads of everything sit down. And that's where like the, you probably have most influence on. They usually deal with most of the day-to-day -day stuff after the GC um, and after the your local kind of groups. And that usually happens once a month too. So you could be having three, three meetings a month basically. Um, but yeah, usually they're not very well publicized and you do have to be a member to go to them and they usually check you at the door. Mm. What about for like the youth that don't necessarily have the money, but you know, they, they got some gripes, uh, six, around 15, 16. I remember like I had some, let's say gripes with the government. I want to express my views, but I wasn't going to go and sign up for a labor, labor party membership. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a, you, it's pocket money that would rather be spent on chicken and chips. So. What would you say? Like, how can they get involved, mm -hmm. like young kids, um, into the scene? No, definitely. So usually every CLP has like a young labor group. Um, so these groups uh, usually do meet, and I think most of them don't actually check your membership at the door. I know for our ones, we actually, I'm not supposed to say this, but um, we usually don't. We usually let everyone in and we usually have like a big conversation where you can voice your opinions. But oh. saying that as well, I'm not sure if they still do it, but if you're a student, 
um, especially a secondary school student or like I think even a uni student, I believe it is one pound a year to join the Labour Party. Um, so it's quite cheap because of that reason, what? because they understand that it's, uh, you know, it's quite expensive to join a Labour group. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of avenues to kind of voice your opinions. But also, you can kind of email your councillors. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Labour, Tory, whoever your councillors are, they're accountable to you. Um, even if I know, I know you, Stephen, uh, Daniel Lee live in like kind of a, a Tory area, but you could still like email them and I don't know, say you want this fixed or hurl abuse at them for being Tories. Mm. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, but, uh, <laughs> yes, I'll do it uh, under my other name, El Stephen. name, exactly. Billy <laughs> Eilish, it's fine. Aaron, my name's Aaron. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Hold on there, fella. Well, you know what, actually, Ahmed, you brought up a good point. Uh, Steve, you brought up a good point as well. Uh, so, you know, you spoke about how uh, younger people might not have the, the funds to become members of the political party and so on and so forth. And you spoke about alternatives. But I kind of wanted to ask you more broadly, you know, uh, what factors do you think prohibit young people in particular from getting more involved in politics? Just generally, not even necessarily party related politics, but just why do we see this disillusionment from young people with regards to the political uh, sphere, so to speak? I think there's a lot of factors. I think, firstly, um, if you go to any of these meetings, you'll be the only under under 30 person, if not under like 25. Like usually everyone there's like way over 40. Um, so it's full of people that are much older than you. And if you go in fresh, like 15, that's just a huge barrier in itself because you're like, oh, damn, it's full of like old heads. But also like, uh, I think, I think the thing that affects not only young people, but also BME people is the kind of like pub culture that's associated to political parties. So anything and everything, any social thing, any gathering, anything mm-hmm. or is uh, put in the pub. And like, I don't know, a lot of people in our generation, like if you look at statistics, they drink less. Or if they do drink, they drink on special occasions. It's not an everyday thing to, you know, go to the pub and drink. So it's kind of like, oh, yeah, am I joining like a political party or am I just getting drinking bodies really and I think there's that disillusionment but also the stuff they discuss isn't stuff that's you know uh like it's not it's not stuff that we would care as much about um so BLM's another thing I think uh uh they like a lot of people within the Labour Party yes they acknowledge it but they won't take steps to you know actually combat it and it's actually a, it's a phenomenon called um white liberalism which uh, if you read Martin Luther King, it's like the polite racism where a lot of people, you know, they'll be like, yeah, racism bad, but they won't take steps to combating it. And it's just a lot of these issues where, you know, young people are kind of pushed aside and certain issues that might not seem as important to them are kind of put forward. So it just kind of disillusions them. I think those are probably the biggest factors. I think um, that point you made about white liberalism, liberalism is actually quite important because we, we kind of discussed it on our, we had the George Floyd episode and we had Tony on who you know as well. Yeah. Um, and he kind of brought up that topic and we gave quotes from Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King where they kind of said that, you know, with the white liberal, they'll be, they'll, you know, be smiling towards you in the sense of we're on your side. But when, as you mentioned, when it's a serious issue such as Black Lives Matter and, you know, various other issues that ethnic minorities in particular have to deal with, you often yeah. find that there's like a kind of retreat from themselves where they don't really want to discuss it. And that yeah. definitely is an alienating factor. So I just want yeah. to kind of go around and ask, you know, as my, cause this is a 
all minority podcasts at the moment. Yeah. We're all minorities right now. So, um, I mean, how do you guys feel about, about what Ahmed's just said and what about the points that I've just brought up as well? I mean, as minorities, how do you feel about the current political climate? I, I agree with Ahmed. Like, there is that kind of facade where uh, if, if there's a big issue, they will address it. The, the current one, they're going to have to address it, right, uh, with Black Lives Matter. But um, if it's, for example, like an issue to do with, uh, you know, a small community of, let's say, uh, Somalis that are experiencing uh, racist issues in their community, or let's say uh, a small Pakistani group somewhere, it's swept under the carpet. No one, no one speaks about it until there's a big uproar. And so it's kind of like false uh, wokeness, let's put it that way. Where you know if the if the issue is large enough, yeah, let's let's let, let's point it out. And what what's more sinister is that after pointing it out, they kind of try to claim that group has like, you know what I mean, theirs. Oh yeah, you have to vote for Labour. You have, to, but that's not necessarily the the, the true point. Um, I think that's quite sinister and yeah, quite evil. What do you think, Dan? I th- think I said before, it's just draining. Be as a minority and continue to like fight for your cause. And continue to be ignored. So you're just looking at all the political parties, thinking, who do I vote for? You see the prime minister talking nonsense. You see the the leader of other political parties, like um, putting your like here. You know, he talked about the Black Lives Matter. He he said it wasn't a movement; it was a moment. Yeah, it still was a moment. Yeah. But that's disheartening. Like you've been a, a Labour voter your whole life. I'm a black man in the um, in in the UK. And then this is the political party that I follow. That's what they're saying. And you just you just get disheartened, and you don't want to follow politics because there's no one fighting in your corner. Mm. Well, this is what I meant as like only a, <laughs> when they say it's not a movement, it's a moment. This is what I meant. Like when it's the moment, they'll deal with it. Oh yeah, yeah. this shouldn't happen. Blah blah. But when it's below the threshold, it, no one cares. No one gives a shit. Like it's just. Do you know what I mean? So this mm. is the part that really, really gets me with politics, and especially when uh, they claim, like political parties claim they're, you know, racially uh, aware, but in reality, I mean, we ex- we see it, we experience it. You know, we're not stupid, um, but we're still expected to pander. What mm. do you? What about you, Aaron? Like, you didn't say your opinion. Um. So, given that my obviously I'm Kurdish, so given my background and everything, I'm a Kurdish Alevi on top of that. So, uh, you know, I'm a minority in the sense of uh, race in any country that I'm in, because Kurdish people, we do not have a country, we're stateless. Um, but I'm also a minority with religion, because my religion, again, is a minority, no matter what country I'm in. So I don't really have a place where I'm in the majority, and we get to say what we want to be done, and it's dealt with immediately. And uh, just, you know, on a global scale, if you talk about people being used as pawns, Kurdish people are definitely used in that sense. Uh, when Saddam was doing his Anfal campaign against Kurdish people, no one gave a damn in the you know UN or anywhere else. They were doing continued deals with Saddam. The British government continued to supply weapons to Saddam. The British government still supplies weapons to Type Erdogan, who is killing Kurdish people left, right, and center. Who's funding a war in Syria? But when it comes to uh, you know Saddam invading Kuwait for their oil, all of a sudden Kurdish lives mattered, and they decided to start the Iraq War, claiming that he had weapons of mass destruction, which later turned out to be incorrect anyway. But the reality is, this man was killing Kurdish people for years, and no one insi- no one thought of intervening then. It was only when monetary gain was to be, you know, gained, that's when they decided to enter. So when you look at the way we're treated on an international scale, 
you feel more as a pawn in a greater political game than an actual human being who has value, who, you know, who deserves to be treated as an equal. So when I look at British politics, I look at it from a, a place of distrust anyway, just on an international level, but living as a Kurdish person in Britain, I think everything you've said is very valid as what Dan said, especially about, it's draining. you know, it's draining. It's very draining. We, I've supported Labour my whole life, primarily because of my parents, really, because my yeah. parents are very left-wing people. Same. I don't know if they're as left-wing as me, though. Uh, that's a mad claim for me to make. My dad <laughs> is very left-wing. But like, I, I look at Labour and I see them down as a watered-down version of what I would like. Um, I don't think they, they care enough about minorities in particular. But they are the party that cares the most about minorities, which should say something to you. So they're, they're the best of the worst. And that shouldn't be why you're voting for them. They should actually take some solid steps. But I don't know what you guys think about that. I mean, Ahmed, you want to maybe say something? Actually, you know, I know I'm not an interviewer, but I've, I've got a question for you guys. So we spoke at the start about Ooh. kind of Blairites and like the kind of, yeah, but I'm questioning you guys now. But um, <laughs> we spoke at the start about kind of Blairites and like, you know, Blairites, the Corbynites, you know, even the Brownites, if we really want to get into it. But do you guys think Labour is too much of a broad church to, you know, actually make real change? Because we've seen this like, you know, this movement by Corbyn to really look at like social justice, not just in things that win votes but you know things all around the world um but now you see care like kind of even like i'll use kashmir as the best example um kind of the withdrawal of that support of that autonomous region um into now being like you know what it's not britain let's not look at it do you guys think it's too much of a broad church to actually enact meaningful change or do you think there is still a chance that we can agree on some things and move forward i think that yes it's the labor party is it's weird. Politics is split into like two pieces, essentially left and right. And actually, not everyone is. I mean, left is such a broad term. I know there's, I know there's other parties, guys. Okay, you, you got your listeners telling me vote for the Green Party. Listen, yeah, they're not going to make any difference. So the real fight here is Labour versus <laughs> Conservative. And uh, okay. you know what I mean, like, so Labour can't cover, can't tackle like specific topics strongly. And they're going to have to pander to everyone on the left uh, side. And obviously that includes us. It's going to be very difficult if they decide to centralise. Like, I think that's what Corbyn did. He picked the ultra-left stance and was hoping, um, ultra-left, the very left stance, and was hoping that, um, you know, the UK will be backing him. But by doing that, he basically alienated the rest of the, the left group in, in the um, Labour Party. And another key driver is, if you think about it, like this election, in my opinion, was highly driven by race, uh, racial issues, national issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, ha- yeah, you have to just, I don't know, politics is kind of like a game. You, you, you got you to you gotta know your, the people that are voting. And I, I feel like if, if they pandered a little bit towards, uh, more towards a racist, yeah, I'm going to say it outright, like just say, yeah, oh yeah, no, we, we'll close all borders or whatever. They'd, they'd win it hands down but uh, that's my opinion what about you my opinion really when it comes to these sorts of things is uh, you're right that you know labor can't get everyone to agree on everything because it's such a broad spectrum of ideologies and whatnot so to expect labor to cater to all of us is is just it's just not feasible but i think the issue there then is not with either one of the major political parties it's with the political system itself 
because you're you're made to choose between two political parties in essence i don't care about the green party i don't care about ukip i don't care about smp i don't care about any of these other parties they will not come to power period they will not come to power you have the option between you either vote for labor or you either vote for the conservatives that is an issue with the political system that's not giving you uh, actual choice that's telling you you can pick between this guy or this guy and that's it i don't believe that that is you know truly democratic in the sense because you know it's a popularity contest it's just a matter of who can get more people to agree with them who can be more broad in their approach now given that labor is the party for ethnic minorities and ethnic minorities differ so much it's, it's going to be impossible for labor to get that majority stance again you know in the country as a whole encapsulating everyone there's an issue of the actual political system itself and the two-party system that i think needs to be looked at more than each individual party and who they can cater to but that's just my stance i agree with both of you but i do feel i think the media plays a huge role in all of the in all of this all of this and i just i don't think the media was on the side of labor like, there's a big smear campaign mm. like every day i'm hearing corby done this Labour done that. I didn't hear much about the politics, the manifesto, what they were trying to do, trying to achieve. Just this person said this in 1970. Um, this person met that person. Like that kind of thing. I wasn't here about um, back background deals, which were cutting off like certain funds for certain things, which the were NHS. not good for the social works. Yeah, the NHS. Exactly. You didn't hear about that. You didn't hear about the lies. You just heard a smear campaign that was churned over and over and over again. But I listened to the radio like almost every day um, during the the Brexit talk and all that stuff and the leading up to the elections and stuff like that. And every day people were phoning in and talking about all the smear rumours they'd heard. No one was talking about all the social reforms they wanted, the NHS, as Steve said, um, the fishing, exports, imports, the industry in the north, all the underfunding of the north. Like going to university in Sheffield, I saw so much underfunding. Like it actually made me sad because coming from London, and I say we're quite well off, even coming from not the best, the best, their best area, I saw what it was like to be underfunded. Stepping away from university down two streets away and seeing people having to basically do illegal things to get money basically mm. and it's just it's, it's not nice and you're just thinking about the government who you're voting for and then as i said it's draining because these things won't change because they're not funding the right the right things social clubs um, education for the children so people have food people have money so they have jobs and these are things that are important to me not about like securing oil in the Middle East and um, all that stuff. It's the things that happen in country that, um, that that's where my votes usually go for. And the Labour Party represent that the best. Yeah, I mean, um, what you said about the media and their influence, I mean, that last general election was literally bought, bought off by Murdoch. I mean, it was disgusting. They were talking about, you know, when, when Jeremy Corbyn said... Um, uh, free free Wi-Fi, for example, uh, that was like a policy sort of thing that they were bringing out. The BBC, who's supposed to be an impartial state-run program, that programming channel, 
uh, put up pictures of uh, Corbyn, almost Leninistic pictures where he was standing in front of like a gulag or something. Uh, they'd edited it out and it was all over their news news cycle constantly and they were called it broadband communism because they know that there's a negative uh, you know, thing associated with calling someone a communist so you know you can see even the state's own channel which is supposed to be funded by the taxpayer and is supposed to be impartial is taking a side there and really pushing for the head of jeremy corbyn in that election like he he didn't really stand the chance if especially you know your own media who's supposed to be impartial the members of the media who are supposed to be impartial are clearly partial to one mm. or the other of the political parties. And that is another thing that just needs to be changed in the system as a whole. But one, I, I go online and I look at these political threads and like one thing you see propping up, I mean, we say that, let's say on the left side, but on the right side, that, you know, like <laughs> the racists, yeah, you, <laughs> on the right side, they, they come up with like, oh, the BBC is, um, is basically doing the same thing, but for the right. So as in they're blocking their freedom of speech, uh, they're, mm. they're pandering to the left. I want to ask Ahmed, like, what do you think, what, who's telling the truth? You know, what is the media actually doing? Uh, obvious biases here. Um, but I mean, I mean, it says it all right. Like you see Rishi Sunak, uh, what they brought a cartoon of him as a superhero. And then you see, as Aaron said, uh, Corbyn uh, in kind of a Lenin kind of, you know, Lenin kind of costume. Um, it just says it all really. I think back in, back in the day and not to sound old, but, we had different news outlets, you know, not stay wrong news outlets kind of doing their own spin. So you had the, you know, the Guardian being a bit, bit more left, you have the Independent, the Sun. But to have our national, you know, broadcaster, the broadcaster that's paid by, you know, British taxes taking sides, that's a huge thing and a huge, you know, it's kind of a, a betrayal of democracy, if anything. Because as we know, you know, the media does influence a lot of people and they're shepherding people off a cliff right now because no one knows what is real That's from true. fake. Um, everything's being, you know, construed to fit a certain agenda. Um, to answer your point, everyone will see it a different way um, because the BBC is already so biased now. I think it's lost its kind of neutral status. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it could ever get back and gain the trust of the people again. I think if I'm honest, the right will always look at, unless they're being like, you know, get get the immigrants out of the country. They all they're always going to be like the the BBC is way too way too left leaning, but there's no real evidence to say it's left leaning. But there's a lot of tangible evidence to say that is supporting the Tory party, especially in the last general election. I mean, even look at the recent thing with Wiley. Why was Corbyn the first person they tried to interview and tried to blame when it was to do with Wiley? Corbyn and Wiley have no links. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I doubt they've even met. To be fair. <laughs> uh, but why was Corbyn on the fire? Why did they go to Corbyn's house when the whole thing about Russian interference in the elections came about? This really should be a, a question for the PM. Um, so it's just that kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of the attacks on anything that's outside from the political system. Um, going back to Aaron's point, we have a certain political system and any change in it, it just seems as an attack on society in itself. But um, to quote Maya Angelou, you can't have, you know, people in a system that's racist and expect it to change from being racist. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's a huge betrayal of trust um, with the British broadcasting company. So, yeah, I don't mm. know if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, that's a good answer. Maybe I'll take this conversation a bit back. Um, we're seeing a lot, like, in what, what I perceive as politics now, 
we're seeing a very uh, a kind of return to nationalism globally. Uh, we're seeing it in France. Mm, uh, I agree. We, we saw it here. You can see in Trump, uh, Trump's campaigns. It seems like it's very attractive at the moment. In my opinion, I think this is a push from globalism, uh, globalization. Uh, so globalization literally occurred in our lifetime and our parents' lifetime. And now that it's sort of uh, flatlined, I feel like this is the push for borders, boundaries, etc. Why do you think there's this nationalistic um, upsurge uh, globally? I mean, nationalism in itself is kind of a Western, a Western invention, right? If you look at like back in the day, like really back in the day before colonialism, you wouldn't have the same borders. You could go from one place to another with relative ease. Um, fair enough, people had their own communities, but it wasn't the same way as it is today. Um, but I think nationalism really taps on that kind of political ideology that you want people to need you rather than want you. Like Corbyn's policies, people wanted him, like he was going to help the poor. But Boris made it in a way that they needed him or these immigrants going to take over the country. And I think that's a rhetoric that the right is using a lot. It's that they're under attack from this invisible force of you know, immigrants that are trying to take away their livelihood. And it's been around for ages. I mean, I rewatched the Black Klansman literally yesterday and it was alive then with, you know, um, the KKK and trying to peddle that kind of hate us, like, you know, Black people are taking over America. It's been happening for a very, very long time. And it's just that hate wins elections, unfortunately. And I think it's being tapped into because of far-right groups like Trump, like Boris, like Bolsonaro, you know, all these people coming into power and just tapping into you ignorant people that you know thrive off hate what's your opinion Aaron you, you seem like you got a cheeky look in your eye yeah, what are you talking about no I was just, uh, <laughs> no, I was just listening no I think um, you're right in that nationalism's you know obviously increased I think what happens is when you go towards one direction so let's look at America for example they're quite easy to look at they're not that complex if we're keeping it keeping it above so let's just look at America America, sorry to the Americans. Yeah, sorry to the Americans, but you voted for Trump, so I don't know what you want me to say. Um, <laughs> so they voted for Obama. Now, I'm just going to make this very clear. I am not a fan of Obama. I am absolutely not, and I'm not a fan of the Democratic Party or anything. <clears throat> but when they voted for Obama, the whole premise was change. Change is going to come. We're going to have our first black president. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be brilliant, etc. Obama came to power, and then the right-wing group, right groups went, oh, there you go. We told you, you know, they're taking over. They're going to come and they're going to take over. So now there's this overcorrection. So what you can't go from your first black president to your first female president. You have to have an absolute fash in the middle somewhere. You get me? Like there's, a, you, there's always like a correction period where they go to the opposite side with an absolute, you know, uh, a maddening amount of an extremism. So mm. you go from first black president to let's get a KKK member into the into the white house like you go to from one extreme to another because it's like a correction thing but so, you, you know when right? they get scared yeah as ahmed said you know the invisible enemy they get scared people get scared especially the older generations they're like oh things are changing we don't like it the immigrants are coming you know the minorities are going to take over and so they go for an overcorrection, which is let's get rid of you know let's get rid of this guy and let's bring in the exact opposite so i think maybe in the next election you know, there's a lot of hashtags going around saying settle for Biden. People might then try to, you know, again, correct and go for someone who's a bit more in the middle. But we don't, we don't really know what's going to happen with the next election. But I think it's more about correction and, you know, trying to balance it a little bit. 
do you not think like these views have been bubbling up for a long time like what I, how i feel is that like there was an ultra not i keep using the word ultra but a super left movement you know during the uh, 70s 80s uh, basically pulling politics to that side and uh, people who already had let's say now some uh, you know critical views or some some like racist views or whatever they're not just racist but just right-wing views in general had to like hide it kind of it, it simmered for a long time and now finally due to social media you know people can say anything the the movement has exploded again i mean i look at katie hopkins uh it's only because of social media is she allowed uh, to have this effect on people on the masses do you think that's that, that plays a part of it I think um, although you're right that, yeah, you know, left-wing movements always existed, right-wing. The thing is, these countries, generally speaking, have very right-wing policies. I mean, when you look at um, both America and uh, the UK, their countries have been led by a majority by right-wing parties. And so I feel like when I say there's an overcorrection, I mean it in the sense that people who are right-wing were always right-wing. They were people who always held racist views, homophobic views, Islamophobic views, they were always around, but they always felt a sense of security that the country, generally speaking, was in the same mind frame as themselves. But when they start now seeing, you know, what they deem to be a bit too much of a correction, as in we're moving a bit too much to the left, as in we're accepting people who are minorities in every sense of the word, whether it's through religion, race, or sexuality, when they see what they deem to be an overcorrection, they also then lash out with, you know, this incredibly racist rhetoric, which we, is now more hyper-visible because we've got social media. So we view it as, oh, damn, these people have just popped up out of nowhere. But in reality, as you said, they've always been there. It's just been a case of now we're just seeing it a bit more because I feel like they feel they're under under threat. And so mm. they, they are, are jumping out a bit more. But they've always been there. Yeah, you're right. They've they've always been there, and I think um, it's 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 a bad discussion. I actually spoke to someone the other day. Which which racist is worse? The ones in the north who've never met anyone who's BME and they just hate you know coloured people, coloured people because their parents hate us too, or the people in like London who hate us because you know generally they just dislike us. Who's worse? Is it the ignorant or the you know the people who understand? Um, but yeah, it's like. It's 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 that shift. It's there's always been like let's let's be honest. Like every institution has racism in it, um, no matter what you look at, um, whether it be universities or whatever. There's a hint of racism in every aspect of life. It's about first acknowledging it, and it's about tackling it. And I think we do a really bad job, especially in England, in acknowledging it. Which I think America does a little bit better than us. We have a lot of like covert racism that happens here that goes you know unchecked. And then when you have these movements, you know, these far-right movements, suddenly you see a lot of people kind of backing it from the background. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Aaron's right. It's always kind of been there. They kind of just needed kind of a spark to, to light the fuse. I, I guess most of the UK won't have this experience, though. Like, we've got quite a specific group here. And I know yeah. maybe some of our listeners will be listening and be like, you know, what they're on about. I never experienced this or what they're on about. They've got like a chip on their shoulder or something, but like <laughs> this is the reality do you know what i mean like and uh but what what annoys me now is that we're voting <laughs> let's be honest here let's keep it a buck like we have no where else where else are we gonna vote Aaron? Yeah. who else are we gonna vote like yeah, mm-hmm. just for ourselves like who who are we gonna vote are you, you we're gonna vote tory really 
Diet Coke no. uh, racism, are you serious? No, man. Like, we have no choice now. Now we're stuck with Labour. No offence, Ahmed, yeah. But although I'm like fiscally liberal, let's put it that way, like when it comes to social stuff, I'm maybe not so much. And there's no, there isn't a party that, that kind of encapsulates different views. I'm forced because I know that if I vote for a Tory party, the right wing, you know, racist kind of uh, sentiment will continue to grow. And so I'm forced to vote for whatever Labour policies they put out. I'm like, OK, well, it doesn't matter what they put out. I need to vote for them now, don't I? Uh, that's what yeah, frustrates me the like... most. Yeah, so it's something I actually dislike about um, our community, actually. It's that we're kind of pushed into voting for Labour. Um, I mean, I have friends who, like, wanted to join the Green Party. And I mean, like, well, honestly, they're not going to win an election, right? But if that's where your views are, that's where your views are, right? Um, it doesn't make you a snake. It doesn't make you this and that. But I honestly think I still kind of believe in like making change from the inside um, in whatever party you're in. Um, obviously, don't sell out your community like Sadiq Javid or people like that. But if you can change the Tories, like you have to remember Tories do have different like people in them and different like uh, individuals. Right now, it's kind of uh, led by the far right. But there's also the central right who aren't as bad. Um, I mean, if you can make a movement with that, then yeah, go for it. But yeah, I, I dislike this notion of kind of glorifying Labour and making it seem like it's the only thing. I mean, right now, because of the two-party politics that we kind of discussed at the start, it's the only thing we have. But it's easy to get disheartened if you put all your hopes into, you know, one party that, you know, for most part, just uses us as tokens to get votes. I know what you're saying. Like, I, I get it. Not everyone in um, the Tory party is a racist. I understand that. But the issue is, in this climate, like, votes are won by do we leave Europe or do we not leave Europe? Yeah, and yeah. for a lot of people, the voters, the driver is not, you know, fiscal uh, numbers. Really, really, yeah. a lot of the people are voting because they don't want to see, uh, you know, another minicab driver that's you know, of this origin or that origin or whatever. They're, they're fed up of seeing these people. Like, if we're keeping it a buck. And so when yeah. when Labour, you know, like, even though maybe the members specifically might not be racist, when they pander towards these people, you're still kind of forced now. You're like, oh, now, like, even though they're not racist, you know, you're kind of, like, it's, it's just expressing their policies. So that's what really frustrates yeah. me the most, but... Mm, not sure what the answer to that to, for me the system has to change like you have to it has to allow many political groups to be able to make an influence into the government that's my opinion um just uh, kind of like what kind of like what germany has with you know the proportional representation um but i i, I don't know it's either that or we need more competitive parties to diversify the policies otherwise you're just stuck between two but no one's I mean, going to uh, give up that power. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was going to say, I, I'm not necessarily, I mean, I know I said I'm very left-wing, but let me rephrase that. I'm very much um, anti-whatever-the-hell we have right now. So my kind of thing is, if you want to call me a communist, for example, because I'm saying that the current system we have just simply does not work and we cannot sustain this going forward, then fine, call me a communist. But surely there is another way of going about this than what we currently have which is basically here's two political parties you pick one or the other and most of the time you're ending up picking someone who you think is just slightly less bad than the other one like okay let me put myself into the mindset of someone who absolutely hates corbyn and does not want corbyn i might also dislike uh, boris johnson but 
I'm going to vote for him because I don't want Corbyn in charge. That's not fair on that person. It's not fair on us because we're going to have to then face the repercussions of whatever Boris's government decides to do. Mm. So I think like, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's a system that in my opinion just doesn't quite work. If, if as Steve said, you could get multiple groups with differing backgrounds to actually make some sort of indentation into policy that comes out, then that, that could be something, like, you know, there has to be some other way of doing this. We're able to send people to space, but we can't figure out a way of, you know, giving everyone some sort of representation when it comes Can to I interject? Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. So how do you go about doing this? Would the party the is, I'm not saying that in I'm, power. I have the answer. I'm not saying that I have the answer. I'm just saying that I don't believe the current system we have works. I don't need to, I don't think I yeah, need to be genius to to know that it doesn't work. I don't, I'm not proposing anything here or there. I don't want to mm. give any ideas or whatever, but what I am saying is I just don't think it works. I'm or just maybe... saying, if we had an idea, how would we put that idea into motion? French Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would, say, I would say go for, again, you know, put it into vote again, but... Mm. Again, we've already discussed the way the media influences things, where there's misinformation. I mean, we've done a whole episode on misinformation and, you know, it was called yeah. um, Anonymous Friend or Foe. Like, we, we discussed all of this before. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of ways that an election can Manipulation. be swayed. Yeah, manipulated. You know, we've heard about Russia intervening. We've had, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg be questioned in Congress because of his, you know, influence in the... In, political political decision making so um, i would say you put it up to vote but uh, you know it's very difficult to even if you do have a new idea to be able to implement it mm. but i you know that's just my i don't know i i don't know if you guys maybe have a different idea of how it could be done but yeah, maybe idea, ahmed I, I think i think dan made a good point it's about power and who's going to give up power because if you go back to corbyn the whole reason he was attacked so much is that you know he was a big change to the system that you know helps a lot of, well it helps a few people who are very powerful so how would you and you saw the way he got demonized i don't think i don't think any other person can go through that and come out sane if i'm honest but um i don't know how you would put stuff forward i spoke to policymakers about how you would change the system to be more representative but honestly no one really has an answer for this so i'm not too sure i guess the nearest time we got to having kind of a third party was hmm. Nick Clegg's Lib Dems. I don't know what you guys think about this, but before he oh went days. into coalition with the Tories, he was kind of that third party. Then he went with the Tories and it just screwed up. But yeah. before that, he was kind of becoming <laughs> the, you know, the kind of other thing you would vote for if it wasn't You know Tories. what? The Lib Dems, the Lib Dems had a chance. Run. They had a chance to prove... You're meant to destroy were... the Sith. <laughs> yeah, to fight Join them. <laughs> that is a sick analogy. They did exactly that. Yeah, they were Anakin. Exactly. I mean, they had the chance, you know, they were like, uh, to be honest, when the Lib Dems got in, I was like, okay, there's a third party now, you know, there's something that, mm. that can rival and n now the political scene will shift into three instead of two. But for them to just go in and just retract every, like pretty much all the important things, Disgusting. triple uni fees, you know, <laughs> just, it's, it's, it's just crazy. They, they were basically played. And uh, now they've lost, in my eyes, at least my generation, I, I think they've just lost all credibility. Mm. I, I, I don't see myself voting for them again after that coalition. So, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I was of age to vote, but I wouldn't vote for them anyway now. So, 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I don't, I don't know. But we need a Lib Dem. That's the next step. We need the next Lib Dem. We need a party to grow like Lib Dem did and to become big enough to basically rival seats. Um, I believe the Lib Dem... Sorry, what was that? It's funny, the only party that's growing is through nationalism, the Scottish nationalism. <laughs> SNP. Yeah, yeah. SNP. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, there we go. <laughs> But that, in a sense, also shifts politics. I mean, it's, it's basically going to split the Conservative Party into super right-wing and less right-wing, which actually, in a sense, is a good thing as well, because now you have a place, you know, to put all those people out of the uh, Tory party. So I just think, yeah, parties need to grow slowly, but I don't know what the, what the solution is. And maybe in another episode, we can, do, we can bring you back and get a panel of, like, mixed um, political views and try to figure out what the best uh, political system would be. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want this to, you know, come off as, oh, look at all these, these uh, left-wingers over here just chatting nonsense about us. But, unfortunately, we don't have many fascist friends. So, if you're a fascist and you want to come onto our show, please DM us at Verbal Reasoning <laughs> Podcast on Instagram <laughs> or Podcast <laughs> Verbal on Twitter. Uh, all fascists are allowed. Um, also, I was just going to say, uh, because this episode is called, you know, youth activism and a bit about that. So we've discussed quite in depth all the gripes we have with the political system currently. But Beef. Yeah, it all, the, all about beef. But, you know, what should we do, Ahmed, then to get young people more involved? Because young people, especially Gen Z, have very like different views in terms of politics, especially to our generation as well. And I think we could use that kind of difference in opinion. But how do we get those people to actually be involved in politics? Because most of them say, ah, I just don't care. I don't, I don't want to deal with it. But how do we get them more politically involved? It's not cool. <laughs> exactly. It's not cool. But how can we make it cool? I think the first thing you have to do is like uh, the best stepping stone is stepping stone I took is like really deal with kind of, you know, youth political groups. So I was involved in the NUS for quite a while, which is the National Union of Students. Um, which deals with like you know issues related to students, and it kind of attracted me more because you know it's issues I care about. Um, you know, if you go university and stuff, there's just like a whole host of different political like groups you can join. There's labor groups, there's like Tory groups where you can join other youth people to you know make it a bit less scary to go to these kind of type of meetings. So I think join that, but also just generally like if you have a mate who doesn't really care about politics but wants change. Why don't you just take them to, you know, a meeting and, you know, speak, speak about what's affecting you? Because, yeah, like, they might try to pass it off, but that's a voice that's been added to the conversation. And if you keep getting people to say the same thing, at one point it's going to stick. But I'd say the biggest thing to do is, yeah, join these youth groups like the NUS. There's loads of different youth groups all around the UK. Join them um, and get, like, get politically active through that. I mean, even if you want to join, like, cultural groups like I know a lot of my friends joined the Palestinian society um at Queen Mary there's a Kurdish society which uh, actually does have a lot of uh, activists that come from there so yeah join those groups get really like yeah get really into like uh politics that you care about and yeah just build on that I've got a little question Go we went to the same school do yeah. you think schools do enough to educate the youth on politics Hell no, um, definitely not. Um, I think, I think, hell no, but no, like, I think, I think we discussed it. Uh, I can't remember who I discussed it, it might have been with Aaron actually, but 
why is sociology a thing you take and like a level or like as your GCSE it should be like one of the main things you yeah, take to understand about politics at the back of the bus about this sort of stuff we on did. our way to school <laughs> where did. it's yeah you're 100% right why why do we learn about sociology like why do we have a lesson called sociology in a levels that you have to choose specifically why don't we start that from a younger age yeah i think i think it's important to like understand the different the different political ideologies and kind of see where you are from there um instead of being influenced by you know your parents and stuff like form your own opinion understand the inequalities it kind of like opens your eyes to what's going on around the world um and within like you know the uk so i think that's what schools need to do and i think they're failing in that um whether it's because i mean i spoke to a friend who's an anarchist and their their thing is that schools don't teach it because they'll have like loads of new labor voters that just pop up but it might not be as sinister as that but i think it should be something that's added to the school curriculum you know having real chats about political ideologies yeah definitely i mean i think this helps but then you have to be careful because this can be used as like an indoctrination tool mm. so maybe i'm an anarchist as yeah. well but <laughs> it's not it doesn't <laughs> that, seem that far I say something really quickly we are always under the false assumption that if you are young you will automatically be swayed towards uh, left wing politics if you are brought into Good the point. world of politics let me tell you something a lot of the people that you're going to school with yeah i mean i listen yeah exactly exactly we went to a school that was i mean we had maybe like two or three people who weren't ethnic minorities in our entire year so our whole school was like a bunch of working class kids from minority families so yes our families always pushed us more towards left wing politics but the reality is depending on where you live if you get young people involved in politics doesn't mean they're going to be left wing they might also be right wing but that's fine as long as they're able to look at every single option that's out there you know and make their own decision access yeah just having the access is what's important so like mm, you know an anarchist might say oh if they teach they teach politics in school all the kids will become left wing that's why they're not doing it that's not true a lot of kids might you know look at the entire political spectrum and say you know what i feel more at home with right wing politics that's just the way it is but you yeah. shouldn't limit the access that that mm. kid has yeah, and I, so, I, I agree. yeah, I think like in that sense is the earlier you get someone, it's a bit like the same rhetoric that, you know, people who are homophobic say, where they say, if we teach children about sexuality from a young age, they're all yeah. going to become gay. But that's not the, like, what is that about? That's, that's not how this sort of thing works. You just teach them about what is sexuality and it, that helps them identify who they are as individuals. It's not necessarily a case of, you know, by teaching children A, B or C, they're definitely yeah. going to end up you know d they might end up ef who knows like they could end up with any kind of ideas the access to that knowledge that they should be given 100 percent agree maybe i'll make it, just take it a bit left i obviously of your uh, bangladeshi heritage um, how much more left do you want to take it jesus oh, we're going we're going <laughs> super left <laughs> super left and have the, the picture is going to be uh ahmed with, in lenin uh <laughs> we won't do that to you we won't do you dirty <laughs> but <laughs> Well, I mean, as left as a, in another direction of obviously your, handsome, man. Your, of your background, do you engage in like uh, Bangladeshi issues, uh, politics? How, how how do you approach that side of of life, or do you not see that it's important? Um, I see it important because uh, I guess it's it's something that you know I'm like my 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 dad came to this country as a student from Bangladesh, so we have really close ties to Bangladesh. So anything that happens there. Um, I still have most of my family back in Bangladesh. So anything that does happen there, I kind of, you know, we feel the effects here. Um, 
I think the best way that I got involved was kind of in university in the Bangladesh society. Um, it was really like kind of, you know, societies like that go either two ways, either they're a party society or they do like, you know, activism stuff. Um, sometimes they do a bit of both, which is kind of what R1 did. And I think that's when we got involved in like, you know, meeting with like high commissions and stuff, speaking about issues relating to not only Bangladeshi, but British Bangladeshis about like fitting in here. Um, strangely enough, like going to Queen Mary was the best thing ever because, you know, that part of East London, I never understood the rich heritage it had in activism. Um, if you look at, you know, Cable Street, which is if any people are big lefties and they don't know what's going on in Cable Street, then I'm disappointed. But um, Cable Street was like one of the biggest things that happened in East London. Um, the kind of the kind of you know movements against the national front that happened there as well. It's just amazing to see it and it's like you know reminding people of that. But I think it's hard to be directly involved in Bangladeshi politics in itself in Bangladesh because it's such a like me myself, I probably won't be able to be as eloquent in Bengali as someone that's born there. So it's kind of hard to, you know, do make a big impact if you're over in this country. Mm, I know you, Aaron, you, you get involved as well, and uh, especially the Kurdish community in North London is quite vocal. Yeah. Um, do you think it's important for, for young people to get involved, of ethnic minorities? Listen, get involved with your country's politics because the way we're going right now with Piri Patel as the, you know, <laughs> Home Office Secretary, you might end up going back there. Well so, done out here. Yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> get involved and see what's going on because you really don't know what's going to happen to you. And I think it's actually quite important what uh, Ahmed said there about not being able to eloquently speak with people back home because obviously there is a language barrier. Mm -hmm. I mean, we care about what happens back home, but you might not be able to communicate with people that are <clears throat> back home in the way that you might want to and you might feel a bit alienated like I there were periods in my life definitely where I was deemed as not Kurdish enough by the Kurds and not English enough yeah. by the English and you're kind of left in the mm -hmm. middle somewhere in this malaise trying to figure out where you fit in yeah. but nonetheless you know you have to be as involved as you can and you know what change the definition of what it means to be Kurdish what it means to be Bangladeshi because we are a new generation we're the first generation here what we do is going to determine in the future what you know our predecessors will look at and say oh you know this is what being a British Kurd or British Bang Bengali is all about you know mm -hmm. for, for, at least for Kurdish people I know that from Turkey for example this is roughly the first maybe second generation that is now popping up in this country and if you don't feel Kurdish enough so to speak create a new definition for it you know you know what I mean and don't let that language barrier or that difference in upbringing kind of alienate you from your own community you are at the end of the day always going to be viewed as at least to some extent a Kurd no one's ever gonna you know this is the un unfair truth that unfortunately i'm never going to be viewed as a full-blooded englishman and so you are always going to be viewed as a kurd so at to mm -hmm. some extent at least and so you shouldn't turn your back on where you've come from really do try to get involved as much as you can even if it's just a little bit go to a few meetings here and there maybe a few protests here and there do it i mean get involved yeah. don't turn your back on your own your own uh, background is what i would say edit this if i'm wrong was the first like kurdish mp Appointed last year, like a female. No, uh, so we we have had th this is the thing. Um, so Kurdish politics is incredibly difficult to explain because we come from four different regions: Iraq, mm -hmm. Iran, Syria, and Turkey. Yeah. There was there was a first um, Kurdish Alevi, uh, some sort of chancellor or something elected in in Enfield, 
Um, and yeah, there was a female MP elected, but there was an Iraqi Kurdish MP who was actually part of the Conservative Party. Oh. And he has been, yeah. So as I've said earlier, like you don't just because <laughs> yeah. someone's a minority doesn't mean they're going to end up supporting a specific political party. This guy was a conservative MP, and he's Kurdish. Um, I've forgotten his name now, but yeah, he he was been in the Conservative Party as an MP for quite a while now. So, yeah. um, I think I think yes, it was the first female Kurdish MP last mm. year. But we have had Kurdish a Kurdish MP before, um, in the UK. I just like to celebrate these things. These things. That's yeah, no, it's definitely an amazing landmark, and you know, well done mm-hmm. to her. Um, yeah, we're obviously very proud, but yeah, I mean, it, I think it was a case of being the first female Kurdish. Female, yeah. yeah. I think it's like Dan said, it's important to celebrate because let's put it this way: like we're not the richest people. Do you know what I mean? Like when we come I love here, it. like people come from zero. It. So, like Dan said, mm-hmm. like to see someone do something good. Obviously, you, as a kid, you look up to whoever's closest and. Uh, of heritage so it's really good to see I think that's what Erin said and what you said Ahmed summarizes that because it is a similar experience to be honest just different ethnicities and like Erin said you know you lie somewhere in the middle Uh, it's the same with me you know like obviously (laughs) you know looking at me you no one will know that I'm I'm British but at the same time an Algerian (laughs) guy won't be like oh yeah you're you're Algerian do you know what I mean they'll still call me the British guy so we we English all boy. lie in that mid, yeah, English boy. Yeah. So we all lie in that kind of grey area, which is kind of a commonality between us, and it's, it's expressed in political views. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good, it's an interesting correlation. What's more important, politics or science? I'm throwing it to Ahmed first. It's a good question. I honestly think they're intertwined. Because um, without mm. good politics, I mean, without you know good politics, you can't enact good science. And I'd say. You look at Trump, uh, I know we've used Trump quite a few times, but uh, he's, he's a funny guy. But um, if you look at Trump and on climate change, he, he, has, he has, you know, support, obviously, but he doesn't believe in climate change, which is kind of good politics with bad science. But if you look at that in the long run, um, with his bad science, he's lost a lot of politics because he's lost the support of kind of educated Republicans. So I think it goes hand in hand. You need a bit of both. And it's kind of a weird balance you have to have. Um, I don't think one can survive with the other, if I'm honest. This but, is beautiful. Um, thank you. Mm, that's a good point, actually. And, uh, <laughs> that's uh, very, even, very good. Even with Trump, he started, um, I think it's called Space Force. So, you know, he, he acknowledges that the technological arm of America is very important. And as uh, Elon, another person, Elon Musk, like for me, he's transcended business. He's now started... No free cloud. Know, no free cloud, but he's now started the <laughs> SpaceX program, which is ultimately yeah. defense. Um, so they, they they come in hand in my opinion they come hand in hand I agree with Ahmed totally mm. what about you Dan what do you think no Ahmed described it like amazingly like without good politics you can't enact uh, the science yeah. you can't put it to good use like climate change was a very very, very good example because mm-hmm. I'm very big on climate change I see what's happening to the world and I've always thought maybe the Green Party is the answer then as you and Aaron said it's a two-horse race you have to vote for one of them yeah if you're trying to make like some sort of some sort of change but if I could vote with the world and science at mind like a science party not Scientology but very important distinction. <laughs> yeah yeah just a science party trying to better the world 
with some good politics, I probably would vote for them. I guess on that note, we can wrap it up. Uh, excuse me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Evan, I lost you... everyone the opinion other than me. Dun, what the fuck? I got it. I got dun, it. Sorry. Dun, 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 <laughs> yeah, you know, I had a question dun, 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 for I had a question for Ahmed beyond this as well, though. One more. To the science or uh, you know politics kind of question, um, in a kind of facetious and jokey way, almost. You know, you can develop a laser to scratch your ass from space, but if you can't feed the people that are in your country, then there's no need for you to develop that laser in the first place. Do you see what I'm saying? So exactly. I think, it, as he kind of stated as well, you got to get good politics going on the ground level first, and then you can try and go to Mars and to, you know, Uranus and wherever. I don't, I don't really know where we're trying to go at the moment, but I think the first things first, you have to ensure, you know, uh, social politics to expand and grow in a positive way before you try to you know mm-hmm. push things more towards science so i do agree with i do agree with that in that sense and um my my actual question was going to be uh, more about the prevalence of social media and how important it is for political parties going forward um because you know rishi sunak when he was announcing the whole you know the the campaigns uh, that they're doing so they very cheekily called it eat out the eat out campaign because you know they know what they're doing and uh you know, he said, have a cheeky Nando's on me and stuff like that. So he's using these these kind of uh, young people terms, so to speak, on social media to kind of announce his policies. And obviously, Donald Trump, he almost started World War Three on Twitter. So, you know, what, what do you think is the importance of social media now and going forward? And is it important? Is it not? You know, what's your views on it? I was going to say on the Etel scheme, I think it's ridiculous. If you want, um, you know, restaurants to make money, you could easily do that, the same thing on takeouts. But anyway, we, we won't get into that. Um, I think, yeah, I think there is a big importance. I see you, you know, it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing, but I think it's not as big as where it will be in a few years as, you know, everything is. I think what really stuck out to me, if you looked on election day, um, where, when, when the British elections were happening, you go on Twitter and this could be because I follow a lot of left-wing people. I don't, I don't have a lot of right-wing friends myself. Um, but if you went on Twitter, you think Corbyn won, you'd be like, you know, it's done. We, we got it. Um, and most of Twitter was that mm. way, but you have to remember most people aren't on Twitter. Um, I mean, most people are barely on Facebook, if we're being really honest. Yeah. So social media does play a part. And with the media kind of eroding and people not trusting the media anymore, it does open the door for kind of a neutral, you know, news outlet, but also it opens the door for fake news, as Trump termed it. Um, but yeah, I, I do see it becoming a bigger thing, especially I think Trump really drove it. Um, you know, during his term, I don't think Obama used Twitter as much, um, for better or worse. But I think, yeah, I, I I do think there's a future for it. But I think right now it's not where the younger generation thinks it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of echo chambers for sure. Where yeah, bubbles. You know, Miliband Miliband was supposed to be prime minister if you went onto Twitter. Like you know, yeah. he, he was supposed to have won it. Um, yeah. Same thing with Corbyn, as you said, but. Yeah, unfortunately, it's very important, especially the way it's meddled with recent politics, especially on Facebook with the fake news and stuff. But yeah, it's not as important, I guess, as as we may feel it is, especially Twitter. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know what? Actually, before you go, one final. Okay, this is genuine. This is my last question. All right. All right. So I saw a picture of you, right? I know I'm leaving you in suspense here. Don't worry, nothing bad. Uh, I saw a picture of you with Bill Gates. Yeah. 
Yeah, so why, when did you join the Illuminati and why now? <laughs> what was that picture about? Can you tell us a little bit about that? How was he? Last questions. How many babies did you have to eat? <laughs> yeah. What was that all about? What, what happened there? And how was he as a person? I mean, that just seems like it would be an interesting thing to kind of finish on. Um, no, he was a cool guy. I only got to speak to him for like around 10 minutes. He was a cool guy. If, a very humble guy. He asked me about me and my sisters, if I'm honest, and my family, which is weird because I wanted to ask him to pay off my tuition fees, but you know, we never got to that conversation. Yeah, they never uh, get to those conversations, never do get they? To those conversations, yeah. <laughs> no, but my, my sister would be better if you paid off my tuition fees, mate. You know about <laughs> exactly, that. exactly. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, oh, like, how about that, Billy? Yeah, he just blew. T- he just blue ticked you and walked away when you said that, didn't he? Wait, see, wait, see. He did, yeah. He was like, yeah, we, we don't have time for any more questions. But um, <laughs> no, I generally think he was a cool guy. Obviously, like, uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've an issue with people who are that rich. But he is giving a, 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 like a lot of the money away to, you know, social causes, um, especially like things on public health and things like that. Well, not public health, sorry, life sciences, um, which I do appreciate. Um, so overall, I feel he was a pretty cool guy. But yeah, it was, a, it was a weird thing. I only knew he was coming probably two days before, so. So uh, where where did you like what what was the context of you? Because you said you only spoke to him for ten minutes, but speaking to Bill Gates for ten minutes is quite a quite an achievement, yeah. really. I mean, if you go on Twitter, people give up fifty thousand to have dinner with Jay Z. Yeah, Jay Z <laughs> to the richest man on earth for ten minutes. So um, like, what was that for? Where did he where did he turn up to? And so it's a funny story. So he his PA actually emailed uh, Queen Mary asking to come in because, you know, we're the most diverse Rosser group. I think he just typed into Google Rosser group that has a lot of, you know, BME people in it. Um, the PA emailed uh, Queen Mary and they thought it was a joke. So they just kind of let it go. The PA then called Queen Mary and they realized, you know, Bill, Bill Gates is actually coming. And that's where we kind of got the call that he's coming in two days. Um, so he came for this kind of like launch of, you know, um, speaking to young people and this like kind of, a conversation with Bill Gates where you can ask him questions but yeah it was just it was just a very random thing where Bill Gates wanted to come to Queen Mary um shout out Queen Mary yeah you know what that made me feel like seeing that picture I felt like how I felt when I saw a picture of Tupac Shakur with Kiss the rock band like it was just like (laughs) how did this group of like how did this even happen how did you end up in the same room like what was what's even the backstory of this but okay it's nice to know nice to know so um yeah so bill i know you're listening to this through your agents uh, <laughs> so thanks for meeting up with ahmed um, and yeah thank you for coming on ahmed that was yeah, no, thank uh, you very, very big thank you yeah man that was a that was a very uh, deep conversation that we had there we mm. you know we went into quite a lot of topics but mm-hmm. there's still a lot more to discuss and as steve said you know we do want to do an episode where we try to actually bring in other views people who have other political views to ourselves and maybe kind of have like a little discussion about what should be done, so to speak. Um, so guys, listen out for that. We might have a few announcements sometime in the near future. But uh, yeah, for now, uh, thank you for listening. And as I said, you can uh, follow us on Podcast Verbal on Twitter and on Instagram at The Verbal Reasoning Podcast. And if you just type us into Facebook, you'll also find us there. Uh, we'll put the link tree link into the description of this uh, episode anyway. Uh, and thanks once again to Ahmed for coming on. Uh, and yes, yeah, Steve. Yeah, and please, guys, thank you very much. And if you could share this with any friends or family members that you know would be interested, that will really help us grow our channel. Um, and ho- hopefully we provide some value to you. So, uh, and if you need to work. 
Yeah, Come on, cool. guys, make make us rich as well. If you like making all these guys rich, make us. I want to be Bill Gates. <laughs> make, yeah, our money, guys, our money. Uh, Steve, why didn't you say who said having fun and being serious can't go hand in hand? You. That was bloody brilliant. So I was in and out of uni campuses, but like when I saw your picture on the wall, I was yeah, like, right. It was, it, was a, it was a very flattering, I'm not going to lie. It was just, it was oh, just kind of nice. there and I was like, ah. What was it for again? It was like some sort of student union and... Yeah. It's for so the most handsome guy ever, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, but, but bro, that's you. I'm trying to be you with it. Like. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to be like you. <laughs> I'm trying to be like you, though. Oh, man. So how does it work? They can only hear our voices and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, they won't be yeah, able to yeah. see you. No. You're too Good handsome. Afternoon. Nah, <laughs> we can't show your face. That's premium material. <laughs> premium material. That's, a, that's on our OnlyFans, B. That's for our OnlyFans. Obviously, obviously, bro. Come in, man. I've got to take a percentage in it. <laughs> so how do I sound now? That's terrible. That is absolute trash. Is that actually bad? Garbage. Yeah, that, is that sounds bad. garbage. Garage. This, this is the mic. That can't, that can't be that the can't mic. That can't be that the mic. That's the mic. 110%. Wait, how are you, how are you holding the mic? Like, who... Bro, unless yeah, you shove the mic up your ass and we're listening to you from the inside, there's no way that that is the mic. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. It's on the table. And have you <laughs> sat on top of it or what? Are you on the chair? <laughs> how are you getting this sound from me right now? That was bloody brilliant.